The Mother Project podcast is brought to you by Nana Grants. Child care plus education equals economic mobility. Nana Grants pays for child care so that low-income single mothers can stay in school. Learn more at nanagrants.org. I don't see anyone, I don't see a roadmap. I don't, I just don't think that that's going to happen. But I knew inside that I wanted the picket fence. I wanted the house. I wanted the kids. And I wanted a husband. And I honestly, even back then, I thought, I want to take care of kids. You know, it was just this draw for it. It was something very natural for me to think of um, taking care of kids one day. This is Erica Stevens welcoming you to another episode of the Mother Project podcast. Mother Project brings you interviews and stories that celebrate the divine right of all mothers to live in a free, just, and equitable society. Now, you might expect this podcast to feature only women because, well, women are mothers, right? But we're also here to expand your definition of what mothering and nurturing looks like in our families and communities. My guest today always dreamed of having a family that included children, but he was also a gay man who came of age in the 90s. Now, I also came of age in the 90s, and I don't recall ever hearing a happily ever after story featuring two guys, two kids, and a white picket fence. But today, Brant and his husband, Brian, have a house in the suburbs, two beautiful children, PTA meetings, summer vacations, and romantic getaways, all the makings of an awesome Instagram feed. But they also had to forge a path that wasn't laid out for them in sitcoms, movies, and storybooks. Today, Brant is a stay-at-home dad and self-described happy homemaker who learned the gift of nurturing from his mother and grandmother. One of the major goals for the Mother Project podcast is to talk about nurturing overall and sort of expand people's definition of what nurturing and, quote, motherhood is. Mm -hmm. So when I was putting together my sort of guest wish list for Mm -hmm. this podcast, you were like top. (laughs) Because I, when I watch your parenting on Facebook, it just, um, it just makes me happy. And you're just such an awesome nurturer. It's not all glamorous. (laughs) And just such a wonderful gift to your family. So I wanted to get you in here to talk about as a male in 2020 America, Mm -hmm. let's talk about nurturing and how did you learn to nurture? And I'd like to go back because it sounds like your nurturing was very much informed by your childhood. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about where you come from and, and who nurtured you as a child. Sure. I was born in a small town called Bogalusa, Louisiana. So you, you grew up in a, yeah. in a rural area. Yeah, very rural. And mm-hmm. um, were only child? I um, am one of two, but my brother is a lot older than me. So um, I was pretty much raised as an only child. So for all Um, practical purposes, you had the undivided attention (laughs) of the women in your family. Absolutely, because my mom and dad um, separated, you know, soon after that, my brother was kind of out of the house as well. Well, not as well, but out of the house. Yeah. And, um, And so it was just my mom and I. So it's always been just my mom and I. But, you know, she moved with me to kind of a larger city up north, Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Okay. 
um, so that she could work um, and so that I could have, you know, a better future. So, you know, if you can imagine it was the 80s, well, late 70s into the 80s, very difficult for a woman to be single yes. um, on their own, um, raising two boys. So my brother did go with us to, to Hattiesburg, so he was there. I remember um, knowing that she was just, she was the person that we had. But then, but then on the flip side, she was, she was the one who I think defines pretty much what I, you know, gathered as a nurturer and what I think a nurturer is, why I'm drawn to women, yeah. you know, why I'm just naturally drawn to strong women because uh, my whole life it was just watching Wonder Woman. Like I've always had this just sort of this godlike figure. Um, and especially now that I look back on it, I'm like, how did she do all that? How did she endure that? How did, just how did, how did she do it? Yeah. Um, great strength. But the other person, and there, were, there are many, but the other main person is my dad's mother, my grandmother on my father's side. I used to go spend the entire summers back on that farm um, with the rest of my family because everyone lived on the same sort of like large plot of land. And so every summer I went and spent with her and my dad was there too and my stepmother and my grandfather and, you know, more kids and cousins and everything so that every summer idyllic almost yeah it was it was i talk about how you know there was that rough period of not having a dad and having a dad that wasn't sort of around but and, and people automatically think oh your childhood must have been horrible well, it, i can't say that on either side because i had this beautiful you know landscape to spend entire summers on playing with my half brothers and sisters and and everyone else and and but really spending that time with that grandmother my grandmother who you know was a very religious woman but sat down at a piano and we would sing she taught me how to sing she was the one who taught me how to sing and wow. just i would watch her all summer long take care of everyone who lived you know in our family around everyone gathered every evening and she would make those meals wow and we would all sit and talk and laugh Yes. And um, it was just uh, just watching her also do that every day, just that just that repetitive sort of of, of nurturing. And I, I, I know I know why I love to feed people, because, yeah. I mean, that's just what she wouldn't even eat it with us. She would just sit there and watch everyone eat. And so my husband, Brian, sometimes he's like, well, just go ahead and eat with us. And I'm just like, I don't know. I just kind of like I mean, it's making me happy watching you guys eat. Wow. So that's sort of how it all, all began. Um, those two people are sort of the, the women who sort of um, I look back on and say, yeah, that's, I, I can now see where I got this from or that from. And the, the love that I can give is the, the love that I, they showed for me. So. so you moved to Atlanta with your mother and was this a... Your mother's mother came with you too? Uh, no, no. Um, yes. So um, in 85, uh, my mom saw that there was nothing, nothing there for her and nothing there for me, really. You know, it's, uh, it's just a different world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love going back and visiting, but it's a different world. It was a different world then. And so uh, my brother was off to college. And so I, um, mom said, we need to move somewhere that gives me more opportunity and you more opportunity. Um, and I had an uncle who lived at the time here in the Atlanta area, here close to where we are right now, Potter Springs. Great. Um, and so mom said, well, let's take a leap of faith. And we packed up this large moving van and her mother, my, gran- my other grandmother came with us. 
um, and we moved to Powder Springs where you know the schools were good and the, for, for better opportunity and what I always say to people in her is I would have never have realized what a big lifesaver that was it was for her because she went back and got her college degree you know she got a great job at Emory you know all those things happened for her which was really incredible but for me as a as a gay gay kid not yet out uh-huh. knowing I was like I can't imagine what my life would have been if we would have stayed because she brought me somewhere where we could have much more opportunity yes um, and I got to go to college I was able to go to college um, and I think that's because we moved I mean I know it is I don't I don't know what my life would look like if we wouldn't have, if she wouldn't have again dropped everything and just took us to the Atlanta area yeah Wow. And, and she had her mother with her. Yeah. So that must have been wonderful for you. It was wonderful. She's another one, another strong one, you know, very close to her. Um, she's always been sort of the on the go lady and sort of ahead of her time. And my mom said we were moving and she said, well, I don't have anything else here. I'll go with you. Mm -hmm. Um, so she came with us and she lived with us when we were, you know, first here. So, okay. So as a, as a gay kid growing up in, I guess then it was the Mm eighties. Did you dream of having what you have now? You have a husband and a home, big, beautiful (laughs) home and two beautiful boys and a, a wonderful family life. Not as a kid, because I think it was just a different time. I mean, as you know, it was just a different time. Like, I couldn't even define it yet to myself, really. I mean, I knew I was, Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't really come out until late in high school. I didn't see that as an example, so I I wasn't even, I don't even, I don't think I was thinking about it in that way Mm -hmm. um, as a kid. I was just trying to figure out how to navigate the world because I was coming from Mississippi where I had horrible experiences in school of being bullied because I was more effeminate. Um, and so when I came to Georgia, I tried to hide that, but I had my five best friends who knew, um, you know, they knew, they knew the real story. I didn't start thinking about things like that until well into college. Okay. Yeah. So how do you get from point A to point B, if you will, when you haven't had that modeled for you? Because I know as a straight cisgendered female Mm -hmm. in our culture, a lot is modeled for me and for better Mm -hmm. or worse, I followed a lot of those (laughs) pathways that were modeled Mm -hmm. for me. How did you, how did you find that for yourself? You know, if I'm, if I'm being completely honest, I came from a broken family. So there was that. I was unsure about the whole sort of definition of marriage anyway, really. Um, cause I saw it not work. Well, it, but then, also there was no definition of gay marriage oh, when we not. were younger. We're, we're I, you know, close to the same I age. didn't know gay people existed. Like I didn't really know anyone like me. So, so the leap was, you know, I, I, I came out in high school and then I went to college and that was completely a different story. You know, coming out in high school was very difficult. Where'd you go to college? Um, Eckerd College in St. Pete, Florida. So it's a small school on the beach. Nice. <laughs> Lucky to be able to go there. That was at the point of time when we had just come from the devastation of AIDS, HIV and AIDS, and into a more um, protective environment of the 90s. And it was all about activism. So when I came out, it was, you know, I was raising, I was raising that rainbow flag and even in college, I really didn't think about that future because I just didn't think it, it, it could exist. 
because uh, again, now that I went to college, I knew four more gay people. Yeah. You know, because it's a very small college. Yeah. Um, so it was really after college that I gave up on it. So I, I would think about it, and then I thought, well, I don't see anyone else in long-term relationships, and I'm sure there were. I don't see anyone, I don't see a roadmap. I don't, I just don't think that that's gonna happen, but I knew inside that I wanted the picket fence. I wanted the house, I wanted the kids, and I wanted a husband. And I honestly, even back then, I thought, I wanna take care of kids. You know, it, it was just this draw yeah. for it. It was something very natural for me to think of um, taking care of kids one day. So I babysat, like college, I was the only male babysitter, mm -hmm. and I was lucky that there were people that didn't think that was too weird and hired me to babysit, you know, as a job in college. Um, but then moved to Washington, D.C. after college, and uh, I was kind of lost at that time because I, I didn't have that path, and I, I guess, you know, I guess I thought I was just going to go be Peter Pan and have fun the rest of my life, you know, and, and just be have to give up on that what did you plug into when you went to D.C.? Like, how did you start trying to find your community? Mm -hmm. Your my, I, I moved there because I was very unhappy and in a, in a dark period of my life here in Atlanta. I got, kind of got lost and quit my first job and, and just was unsatisfied with life because I felt like it wasn't giving me what I needed. What were you doing? Actually, um, I was I worked at a, one of the largest bank. Okay. <laughs> um, worked in Dallas for a year and then couldn't stand it there, so I begged them to move me back to Atlanta. And then, you know, one of my bosses said, you know, you need to be less colorful. And, well, oh I just, uh, that was kind of the straw for me. And I said, well, I'll go wait tables again. I did that in college. Okay. You know, so I so went through a little rough patch and then said, well, my best friend's in D.C. from college. My best friend, uh, Ruby, was in D.C. And I called her and I said, I'm going to move. And she was like, we'll find you a, a, a room you know, in D.C., and she lived in this right on DuPont Circle. <laughs> so, so if we can pause for a yeah. moment, because I, I feel like there's so much pressure right now mm -hmm. for young people to mm -hmm. know exactly what their path is. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, we started this conversation talking about your path to nurturing and becoming a father, mm -hmm. but it sounds like you were just a little lost mm -hmm. as, you know, and, and there is so much pressure right now and you've arrived. So I'd love for you to just maybe talk about if you could briefly that experience of maybe not like going into a profession and, and saying, Hey, this isn't really where I belong. I'm not sure where I belong. Right. So I'm just going to take a little detour here. Was that incredibly scary? Was your family like, Oh my gosh, you have this college degree. What are you doing? Waiting tables. Well, um, you know, I was unsure when I went to college. I went to college as a music major, if you can imagine. Okay. And then I thought, well, I don't want to learn how to read music or music history. I just want to sing because that's what I love to do. And I made a, thank goodness, at this point in my life, I was making practical decisions. I said, well, let me get a degree or two that can parlay into something that makes money one day. Okay. So I was a political science major and my other major was gender, women's and gender studies. Awesome. So I thought, <laughs> I'll be able to do something with those one day. Yes. Um, but then, yeah, there was this dismay after I left college of like, I'm making barely enough to get by. I've done the American dream of going to, uh, to a school and a private school at that and being able to do that. And then, I, you know, I landed a great job 
in PR. And yeah, so that's that's sort of did I answer the question? You totally did. <laughs> and DC. Well, yeah, well, the other thing you said. Sorry to interrupt you. No, go. Um, the only thing that frightened my mother because she was always there, my rock to support me, paying bills, doing all those sorts of things for me. I was very fortunate. She never even said grow up. She wanted to me, me to be okay and find happiness yeah. and do what I wanted to do. So there was a point in Atlanta where I was getting into trouble and she said, okay, you want to move to DC? She goes, I, you need to do this. This needs to be your focus. Make it work. She had um, faith in you being she able did, to. She did. And that, of course, that frightened her. Not knowing necessarily what I wanted to do, I don't think that frightened her because look at her history. I mean, yeah. I don't think, you know, that scared her that much. She's not an easily frightened woman. No, she is not. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, not an easily frightened person at all. No. So I thought, you know, I think she thought, oh, go, go. What was always very clear to me was, when I left, I knew I was going to find my person there. Did you Something really? told me on the drive, I was crying all the way to Washington, D.C. I packed up my little Acura with all my stuff. And halfway through the trip, I said, oh, he's there. He's there. I don't know who, but he's there. And not long after I moved there was when I met Brian. Yeah. That's incredible. And things just completely changed. Just the whole world just sort of exploded for me. In a good way. So you, you've told me in previous conversation mm -hmm. that pretty early in your relationship with Brian, you said to him, this is what I want. Mm -hmm. This is my white picket fence dream. Mm -hmm. How did he respond to that? Well, you know, I don't know. I think we have a great love story. I really do. Um, one day I'll write a book about it. Um, you know, we always look at other couples and we think to ourselves, we, are, we built our relationship from day one as equals. No one owed anyone anything. We were equals. And so when I say that, I said that to him. It was us having that conversation about what do you want? You know, and this was probably, you know, three, six weeks into the relationship. Mm -hmm. But I was very boisterous at the time. I was very, you know, very sort of... Uh, an edge it had an edge to me okay and brian's a very peaceful very sweet very very wonderful person very nurturing also grounding grounding yeah i am not grounded he is very grounding um and so it was a, it was a reciprocal conversation one night of like where are we you know what if, if we stay together what are we doing and that's when it all sort of came out it was like yeah we both want this we absolutely but we didn't know how in the world that would happen we didn't even go into thinking about how that would happen because we were a new couple and we we're having fun. Yeah. But we knew it was sort of like we both knew we needed that validation from each other that eventually this was where we were going to the direction we were going to go. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, that's fantastic. So you um, tell me about how you made it back from D.C. and I find I think heterosexual couples right now struggle, especially during the pandemic, with division of labor mm -hmm. and, you know, how is this family going to work? Yeah. And you guys just seem to, you guys just seem to have it worked out really well. And so I'm curious <laughs> how you got from, you know, two single guys in D.C., you yeah. had this dream, there was no roadmap, and, and maybe... Maybe that's better that there was no 
predefined, you do this, I do that, here's how it's all going to work out. We need to plug into these Mm -hmm. cookie cutter roles. How did you create the life that you have right now? We say that often. It's one of the, I'll I'll go back in a second, but one of the funniest things Brian says um, is that we moved back from D.C. You know, we didn't cook in D.C. No one knew how to cook. Like we were were in our 20s. We went out to eat. We, you know, we were having fun. And um, we got back to Atlanta and he said, well, somebody's got to learn how to cook. <laughs> and I said, oh, that's me. That's me because I've, I've, I've always known that I'm going to be a cook, like because of watching my, my grandmothers and my mom and the people that, you know, fed me, like fed me love that, uh, I was going to be the cook. So, you know, I, I got the dibs on the cooking, but yeah, we moved, you know, nine 11 was the thing that, that we lived through in DC. Um, and then the shooter, remember, yes. right after 9-11, oh, was yes. picking people off in the streets of D.C. And anthrax. <clears throat> oh, my goodness, yeah. So, you know, that was sort of the three strikes you're out. And I think we had lived our sex in the city life uh-huh. in D.C. Uh, long enough. Uh, we wanted to settle down. We were in our heads already thinking we need roots somewhere because we eventually want to have kids. So that, you know, we got out a map and he wanted me to move to San Diego. And I said, well, my grandmother always said, when the earth opens up, you should never really live there. That's biblical. Okay. You know, and I <laughs> joke, but no, I didn't want to move that far from my family. The, the West Coast, it was just too far. And, you know, New York, DC is too expensive. We went through all the very logical things you would think about. <clears throat> and I said, well, the most important person to me is in Atlanta. And it's Your mother the, my mom, yeah, is the fastest growing city in the country, lots of opportunity. What do you think? And he said, okay, you know, you bet. You and know, a pretty progressive being a southern city. <laughs> Absolutely. Still, um, you know, a pretty progressive yeah. place to be in the 90s. Yeah, right? and Brian's a, Brian grew up in a military family, so um, he was used to moving around. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was still pretty progressive, but a big culture shock for him who had never, he had probably only visited the South twice at that point. Okay. So throwing him in the middle of good old Atlanta and Georgia. It's kind of a shock to his system, but um, yeah, we moved back and it was rough. You know, he came from a research background, so it's very limited. At the time, it was very limited here. He was working at the National Institutes of Health in D.C. And so he had a rough go of finding his path here, a career path. But I got a job at a big PR agency when I came back. And that's when we started sort of building things and working toward you know, the eventual goal. But, you know, again, mom comes to the rescue and she, you know, gave us a place to live when we moved back because we had nothing. I mean, we were too, you know, we were blessed, but we, we didn't have any money. We didn't have any, you know, we didn't have anything. So, because we were having too much fun. Um, so we moved back, settled down and, and, and kind of got to work. Never knew that that would be the right move. Turns out it was. What year did you guys get married? Wasn't real marriage. Okay. <laughs> we had our ceremony, our first ceremony in 2004. So we've been together, that's 16 years? Yeah. I'll do very good math. So 16 years from our ceremony, our wedding, and then 18 together because we had known each other for, for two years beforehand. Yeah. And that was here in Atlanta. And thanks to mom and Brian's dad who supported it and Brian's mom, all of our parents yeah, that was, uh, got married at the Mayfair in Midtown, Atlanta, so. Fantastic. Yeah, and then in New York when 
everything went over. We went. Yeah. And we also got married in Hawaii when they did civil unions. And our lawyer said, please stop getting married. <laughs> the government is going to start asking questions. It's <laughs> looking a little suspicious when you're triple or quadruple married. I know, right? Oh my gosh, that's cute. Yeah, yeah. So um, you, you guys knew you wanted to be parents. Mm-hmm. What were your options? What did you consider? And, and let's talk about the path to right. having your two beautiful boys. We got married and still wanted a little bit of a freedom of lifestyle. So we spent, we gave ourselves a goal. We said, okay, we got to do this by 38. You know, Brian's a year older than me. Uh, so if we're not, we're not starting our family by 38, we're probably not going to do it um, because we were afraid of being the older parents and all that, sort of, all that stuff. So um, when we finally got our heads straight, because, you know, we could delay it as long as we wanted to because, you know, there's no womb. Yes. So we can just, you know. Um, so we finally started to think about things very seriously. We got our first house out in Decatur and then really started to work toward it. So, um, we went to a group, um, out in Decatur that was dedicated for, um, couples who wanted to discuss how they were trying to have families, gay couples, um, discussing how to have families. And we met now some of our best friends who, who convinced us to move up to Roswell. So that's how we got up sort of North. They said, "There, the first step is your lawyer, uh, and the first step, the is, first for you guys is uh, is a, is a is a, a fertility lawyer, basically. a lawyer. Mm-hmm. That's not the most romantic. First I know, step isn't most it? People it's, think it's about totally them. not. No, it, it totally isn't. <laughs> um, and then, of course, we referred to her name is Lori, and and she is pretty much the expert in Georgia for helping gay couples have a math uh, a map and a pathway uh-huh. um, to having kids." So we sat down with her and an hour and a half later, it was just, it was sort of mind blowing about what we were about to have to do. Um, we had already started saving money because we knew um, it was gonna cost us a lot more than most yeah. um, to do this because we needed, we needed all the parts. We needed all of them, almost. And we had considered adoption. We sat down we borrowed someone's adoption book. And then there was a point where we sat down and we finally decided that I always say, we decided to be selfish human beings and, and want to see both of our eyes in kids. And, uh, you know, we worked very hard to save the money. We worked very, I don't want people to think that it was just all sort of fell on our laps because it's just not the way it works. It's hard work. Um, so she gave us the roadmap. She said, you need to go to this reproductive company, or, uh, uh, doctors, mm-hmm. and you need to discuss it with them. You have to find uh, a gestational carrier, which a lot of people refer to as a surrogate, but when it's a carrier, it's, it's, not, it's not their egg, right? Okay, explain that. Okay, so a gestational carrier versus a surrogate. A surrogate, they use her egg. Okay. So they, impl- you know, they sort of implant semen. That's sure. her egg. Okay. Um, a gestational carrier is literally just sort of the vessel. Sure. And I hate saying I mean, sure. no disrespect at all. I, people know me well enough to know that that's. So it is, um, you, you, buy, you buy frozen eggs. You choose, you go through a bank like you do a sperm bank. And you look and you choose a set of eggs to buy. And then you combine it with, you know, yep. your semen. And so Brian did three, I did three. And, and we had three embryos, that three three embryos full and it was embryos. just you threw it out to the universe and said it's it's um, it's yours it's mine because it, it so we knew there were three we didn't want to know we didn't want them to identify the eggs for the the embryos for us at okay. that point okay 
And we, oh, of course, take a step back. We, uh, a friend rose, uh, raised her hand and said she wanted to, to do this for us. A friend that I worked with, and it was a that good friend. An and amazing she friend. said she had done it before for two other, two or three other couples. She was wow. just she's very good at it. <laughs> and she has her own daughter, uh, Jessica. And so she um, raised her hand and said, "I want to help you do this, and find a way to help you do this." And we were very lucky that she was the person that raised her hand because she had done it before. So that, that sort of was great. We never have had to go through agencies. We're very lucky, very blessed for that. Um, so come time for the implantation of the embryo, and we told the doctor just, you know, they give them grades like this is the A+, plus, A+, plus, B+. Plus. We had all A+. Plus embryos which was uh -huh, amazing uh -huh. um and we said just, overachieving couple right right overachieving his parents <laughs> <laughs> and um and we told her don't don't tell us just you pick the first one mm -hmm. you know and that was lucas yeah wonderful uh-huh it sounds like you were very involved in her pregnancy mm -hmm. she like was here was, in atlanta she's here in atlanta mm -hmm. she's done this before so she knows Yep. how it's going to go but that we, must have been comforting yeah but we're we're always very we're sort of we're what was defined as non-traditional because we're we're gay guys but we're very traditional in a lot of different ways and one was that we wanted to get everything we could out of this experience i mean we might not be able to do it again yeah. let's 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 go to every appointment let's take care of jessica as much as we can let's get her what she needs you know uh, just being super involved and wanting to go through every step of the process. Um, and it was, you know, she'll be family forever. It's just, it binds you together. How open were you with your friends or professional colleagues when you were going through this the first time? You've done this twice now. So yeah. the first time, did you feel like you could tell people you know, we're having a baby. This mm -hmm. is what's happening. Did you get tired of explaining the logistics <laughs> of it? We were very excited. Brian, again, is more reserved than I am. I am definitely the, the more sort of uh, uh, <clears throat> public person. And so I, I had to convince him a little bit. Um, not that he was against it. I said, no, I, I want, you know, I was big on social media. I'm big on social media. I love sharing with my friends. I want us to share every step because maybe it'll help somebody. I don't, I'm not sure if I download it on my Facebook post, like it could be this journey, Yeah. Um, which a couple of people actually, you know, after we had Lucas like messaged me and said, it was like watching this, being a part of this soap opera, like watching you guys get pregnant, which is so weird, you know, when you think about it, but people were like, it was like this novel that I was reading. Again, we know how lucky and blessed we are. Um, and then the second time, another friend raised their hand, uh, a college, uh, my, one of my good friends from college's wife um, had always wanted to do Tammy. She had always wanted to be a gestational carrier. And um, she raised her hand and said, well, let's go see the doctor and see if I can help. And she lives in St. Pete where we went to school. And so it was a different sort of ride, but um, just as special and just as amazing because again there wasn't that sort of uh and i'm I, I, every experience is beautiful of, ha of having a uh, having a child is beautiful regardless of how you do it uh -huh. oh, yes. but for us it was like man these two fr friends like yeah. it was very powerful for us to know uh, these two people and their families 
Because their husbands had to support them too yeah, yeah. <laughs> in this journey. Um, and they, you know, both had already had kids and things. So yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty spectacular. Have you had other gay couples reach out to you? Because um, it, it's interesting. I, I am the mother of a transgender son mm-hmm. and he transitioned, hmm, you know, at a time before there were a lot of stories being told in the public sphere about mm-hmm. what to expect. And so I sort of found myself like the Sherpa for a lot of parents who were experiencing that. Mm-hmm. Did you have that same like, did you have a lot of people reaching out to you for advice or? We did because um, fertility is always expensive. Uh, infertility issues are always expensive. Yes. And um, insurance, I assume. Of no, we had, we had great insurance. Did you? Okay. Our insurance company um, was uh, surrogate supportive. So a lot was covered. Not a lot. That's fantastic. <laughs> there was a lot not covered and there was a lot covered. Um, so we, there was there was that part of it, which was great, and and I think yes, people did reach out to us. Other gay couples did reach out to us, and yeah, um, I think what people um, it was still very. I think we were some of the first. Yeah, you know, yeah. at least in our immediate area or, or immediate you know sort of group that did this. So there was a lot of confusion on how the process. I mean, it's you know, it's science. It's but it's do you feel at some fairly point, new. like, um, yeah. I don't, I, do you feel compelled to explain the, you know, extremely personal details to be, or do you, are you just open with everything? We I, are, I mean, we are, uh, I'm an open book. Brian's, <laughs> he knows that, but, but he also knows how wonderful our journey was. So he, 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 he loves to share it too. He's a big sharer where, you know, I, I sometimes think that when, when a, story or a human experience is not as much a part of everyone's mm-hmm. everyday understanding mm-hmm. that they feel a little more oddly um, compelled to ask you to explain things mm-hmm. that you would not ask perhaps a, a heterosexual <laughs> couple or the parents true. of a straight kid or you know it's like this is true yeah. and, and I, I love I love being asked questions rather than assumptions because again like I say any way you have children is beautiful and wonderful but because we're gay people just assume our kids are adopted that's just that's that's the go-to yeah um, and I think adopt, adopted families are wonderful but we also like them to know our, our individual story too yeah um, so it does require kind of getting over yourself and saying okay well you put this together with this and then you, you, you whip know. out your whiteboard <laughs> you know, and start drawing yeah, an exactly. infographic <laughs> well the funny thing is is we knew our parents probably no offense to any of our parents they're very smart people we knew that they would probably have the the hardest time grasping this entire amazing concept because let's be clear before probably the past, I would say, five to ten years, this was a Hollywood thing. We call it a Hollywood thing. Oh, yeah. Only the rich, only sure. the richest of rich could probably afford to do this. Yeah. Still very expensive, but science has gotten better. Medicine has gotten better um, so that people can do this. We knew our parents would have a hard time understanding, so we literally sat down and wrote an entire letter. Wow. That we sent to each of our parents. Okay. <laughs> and, and it, Cliff's notes study it guide was, to what's it was, about to happen. This is what's happening, mm-hmm. you know, because we wanted them to be invested and involved. We didn't want it to be foreign. We wanted they, we, we wanted them along 
just as they would be, you know, any other sort of um, having children story. Um, so we detailed it out for them, but then yet there was still some um, confusing elements about it for parents and for other people. And I won't say which parent did this, but we love the story of uh, we were having maybe the baby shower. I'm not sure if it was the baby shower, but anyway, one of the parents came to visit and our, Sarah, our gestational carrier uh, for Lucas is African-American. Mm-hmm. And so parent pulls me out and says, oh, so you're having a black baby too. You know, and, and you said you didn't read the study guide <laughs> that I gave you. <laughs> and I laughed and I said, well, no, not that that would ever be an issue. That would be wonderful. But you, did you not read the letter? You know, did you not read the letter? And, 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 and they did. And, and I just had to sort of go through it again. Like every, everything is, is like, you know, foreignly introduced. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a learning curve. <laughs> it is a learning curve for a lot of people. I feel like if my, my grandmother on my mom's side would be alive, she would explain it like she did when she found out Brian and I were getting married. Very, you know, she's in her 80s, and she said, well, you know, I love Brian. I love him to death. And she said, but I don't understand it, but it's like I don't understand a VCR. It's of this world, so I guess, you know, I just I need to learn how to work it. And I think that was just one of the most wonderful ways, I think. An of, open-hearted of way of Yeah, I was like, no, I don't quite understand it. But you know what? I love him. I love you. And I don't know how to operate my VCR. So, you know, once I figure those two things out, it'll be fine. Oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, describing the... It's a fun story. We had to be FDA approved. To have what is that? You had to mm-hmm. be FDA Both of us. approved. Yeah. Isn't that wow. funny about the government stuff that they want to regulate? So our, our sperm had to be FDA approved. And, and it clearly was FDA yeah. approved. After, after. <laughs> that sounds like something you want to put on a hat or a bumper sticker. It, it, I am FDA <laughs> My approved. My sperm is FDA approved. <laughs> yeah, That's a so, pickup line right there. Yeah, it's, it's one of the things we tell people. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, yeah, part of the process. So, so you are now, mm-hmm. um, you guys live for anyone who's not from Atlanta listening, you live pretty far <laughs> out in suburbia. Yeah. It, it might even yeah. be called exurbia. It's yeah. It's and not anymore. It's yeah. Yeah. It's Milton. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. above. Yeah. It's, it's out there. And you are, um, you're involved in your church. Mm-hmm. You're heavily involved in your PTA. Mm-hmm. Tell me what it's like to be a nurturer, the -hmm. primary caregiver. Are you the only gay dad who's taking on this role? Like, no, it's um, back to the whole idea of roadmaps and and things being spelled out for you. You're sort of, once again, defining your own Mm -hmm. role. Yeah, um, we uh, were nervous to move from Decatur, but I knew something. I just knew I wanted suburbia more than Decatur could provide. I love Decatur. I, I miss Decatur, but I knew that I wanted a little bit more of suburbia than than that. So um, again, our friends who we met in this group about you know gay folks having kids and stuff, they said just come have lunch in downtown Roswell. <laughs> you know, so we did, and then that 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 made the that made the decision for us, and then we eventually moved up to Milton because my mom moved in with us. So mom lives with us. So she's. She wanted a bigger house, right? Yes. Yeah, so we yeah. needed a bigger house. We needed, you know, full basement for her. We also met through Facebook, a gay dads group. Um, my friend Ken is in charge of 
part of it and he sort of found us when we moved to the Roswell Milton area so we're part of that and then he hosts a monthly gay dad's dinner at his house so there are quite a few of us Wonderful. in the area in the spread out area but in my immediate area Luke is uh, Luke is in class with um, another gay couple who mm-hmm. has a kid in his class but in my immediate schools and stuff um, <clears throat> I'm the only stay at home stay-at-home dad dad um, no there's there's like a couple of other stay-at-home dads but definitely the only only gay stay-at-home dad around i just once we found luke's preschool when he was you know two uh, where we also go to church it's the same place we go to church open loving environment at northbrook that sort of got us into that community and then i do what i always do like i was on student council i was you know part of everything in college and in high school and um, I love people, and I'm in. P- I, you know, I was in PR. I'm just, I'm just that person, and I want to be involved. So, of course, I signed up for the, you know, the PTO at the preschool, and now the PTO at the elementary school. Yeah. All of my girlfriends, I call them my girlfriends up here, um, that are stay-at-home moms. Uh, it's funny because the kids, their kids, just see me as one of the other moms. Yeah. And so I've, in a way, and I don't want this to offend anyone, I just consider myself one of the moms, you know? Like, it's funny. It's wonderful. Everyone has been totally opening and welcoming. You know, it is different. We were the first, you know, gay couple at the preschool, but we were welcomed in with open arms. And, you know, I'm always the kind of person, I want people to like me. I know that about myself. You're in PR. Well, I just know that about myself. You know, I did, I'm doing, you know, I'm taking this Enneagram um, class right now, which talks about, you know, what number you are and everything. I know I I need to be liked because I want to have friends and and be involved and know what's going on. Um, So I just dove in head first. And I was like, well, you know, I would always talk to Brian. I'm, oh, I'm so nervous about this one because I've never met these people. And there was always that sort of anxiety before I would go in and meet the new group of whoever or whatever. Yeah. Because I was different and I was the gay guy. Um, always the only guy in a big group of women, which I love. I've always loved that. That's just been a natural thing for me in my life. I hate to say that we were very apprehensive moving to the burbs and then the outer burbs on how that would work. You know, it's always the fear. For me, it's always the fear of of my kid finding out I'm not, you know, not normal. Okay. So your son recognizing that he has a different family structure. Not even that because he knows that. He grasps that concept because we, our rule with our kids is they know exactly what has happened they know who they are, what their family is, but the negative side of it. I'm always afraid of that first time where, you know, Lucas finds out that everyone doesn't like people like his dads. Um, thankfully, that hasn't happened yet. But, um, oh, yeah, but that's, that's, that's definitely a fear. But <clears throat> back to the, to the sort of nurturing and mothering and um, being a dad in this group, it's been wonderful. I hate that I expected it not to. Did you? I did. You seem like a really optimistic person. I am, but I think when it came to this, uh, I just didn't know where we were in the world yet with everything. And And Brian and I have always said, after we had kids, I think it's one thing if you don't have kids, but I think kids sort of bring this sort of 
it almost sort of makes people just, oh, there, there's this automatic, oh, you have something in common yeah. with me. Because I think the biggest misnomer and mistake about people have about gay people is that they're not like them. That they're so different that they have nothing to relate to. And it's that fear that keeps people from accepting gay people, I think. Okay. Or, or all types of people. Sure. And so I think kids are that thing that's like that ultimate thing that you have in common. Yeah. You and, can bond over a shared experience, yeah. which is how people connect. Yeah. And I, I don't know that that's the reason why, but I feel like that's part of it. Long-winded about it, it's been wonderful. It's always, it's, it's been, I've been totally accepted. We've been totally, I we haven't even known whether someone said whether they accepted us or not. It's just, it, it's just been wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I always wanted to be a stay at home. Um, I knew that that would be my role going back to sort of Brian and I not having those expectations. We didn't. And we liked that because we got to sit down and say, well, what do we, how do we want to operate this? this household when we do it. Mm -hmm. And I said, I want to stay at home. I want to cook, do most of the cleaning, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, all of that made sense to me for me to do. You wanted to be a homemaker. I wanted to be a homemaker. Right. Yeah. Um, and Brian, you know, he's, he, he is a wonderful father and he likes to go to work. It's um, so interesting. But he is a great father. It, you know, as a woman saying, I want to be a homemaker is, is, almost as loaded maybe as a gay man or just a man saying, I want to be a homemaker right now. It's, it yeah. seems to be a role that we maybe don't, well, I, I definitely think we don't value it as much mm -hmm. as we should. I agree. I think it's, uh, um, I try my best as you probably know, cause you're on Facebook with me. I try my best to stay positive. But you know, man, when you're at home with the kids all day, again, I don't want to complain about it because it's the most wonderful experience ever. It's a different world. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's just such a different world. You know, yeah, I think it's undervalued for anyone who does that. Not to say that, you know, being a single parent, you know, that's undervalued too. But I think you're right. It's a loaded sort of thing when someone says, I want to do this. Yeah. Um, because I, even I, as a guy, when I decided to do this, I had friends who were like, you want to give up your career? It was a foreign concept yeah. to them. They couldn't, really, and these were women, you know, yeah, like, which yeah. I thought was very interesting. You know, the men were like, oh, okay, whatever. Um, but it was, it was women most oftentimes who were like, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> yeah. And I think yeah. that comes from how generations have changed about thinking about being a stay at home parent, especially yeah. you know, being a homemaker, like what that looks like and how it defines you. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. so many women have worked so hard to be freed to, from that expectation. From that. Yeah. And they're like, oh, wait, I have this friend who's actually running toward <laughs> this, and it's not expected of him. Why is he well, running toward this? And I think the other reason that it was shocking to them is because I have been a feminist from the time I can remember. You know, I've stood alongside my female friends and fought for those equalities. You know, I, that was something that was very important to me, probably because I saw what it did to my mom and my grandmother and how they didn't have these opportunities to necessarily, they were being, they were being a feminist without even, they were being a feminist just by living yep. and getting by and raising their families and doing things. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I, you know, I have always been drawn to strong women because of that. And I think it goes back to the homemaker. You can be a homemaker and be a strong woman or a strong man. Oh, absolutely. It doesn't really define you in terms of your strength. Because of my grandmother, because of my mom, 
I can tell you, I know that's why I have the female friends I have. Because my friend Jennifer is strong, my friend Liz is strong, my friend Katie is strong. And many more. I mean, I'm leaving people out, they're going to be mad. But, um, you know, yeah, it, it's just um, that strength. Nurturing uh, requires yeah, strength. Well, and that, I think, and I think that, people that's, think that's it's a soft... Is squishy thing and it's really uh, no. I have the strength to be present for mm -hmm. the people who need me and give them what they need. Because nurturing is, is def you know, I think people have the definition of nurturing as this sort of very soft, warm, fuzzy feeling and sometimes it's, it's punishing. Sometimes it's, you know, it's not so glamorous. It's not so cozy. It's not so warm. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's sad and lonely. But you have to do yeah. it. But you, but you have to do it. So... Um, yeah. That's wonderful. Well, um, I'd like to close by asking, and, and uh, this is maybe too uh, philosophical and forward-looking, <laughs> but what do you think lies ahead for, if, if, say, you and Brian met each other in 2020, mm. pandemic aside, um, how do you think the roadmap or the opportunities would look different? Do you think that, mm. I mean, I would hope that Things have improved. I think, well, I'll first say, and Brian always say this, we think that in any lifetime that we would have met, we would have found each other. I think mm -hmm. that's pretty clear. But I think the mechanics of things are a lot better and a lot easier. I have to say that, you know, there's been four steps forward and three steps back. It would be a little less anxiety-ridden you know, if it were 2020 and we met and we wanted to do all this, I think there would be less anxiety toward, you know, the process and who we were. I think our uh, ability to trust people more would probably be a little easier. Okay. But I don't regret it being the way it was at all. It's been fun. Crazy. That's great. All of it. Awesome. <laughs> well, it has been such a pleasure and I... I am so appreciative that you are so open with your story and you have so much humor and um, generosity. Thank you, it's been an absolute honor and so much fun. Thank you.